Proverbs chapter 16. And uh, this evening, I've been brought back to a, a verse I'm going to give you. Many years ago, it's been quite a number of years ago, I preached a message here entitled The uh, Multiplication of Error. And uh, in that message, I dealt with the uh, <clears throat> dealt with the passage we're going to deal with now. I have chosen to retain that title um, because I believe uh, there's nothing that better explains what the truth of the particular passage is. And I have to tell you, I was questioning a little when I came back to the passage. I was in my reading and I saw it and and uh, felt a particular prod you feel and those who preach understand what I'm talking about that that's 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 where you got to go and uh, immediately thought of the title there and and the message and it's like need to need to preach that and I thought well, Lord I've already preached that Lord reminded me people don't remember that long anyway and but uh, in addition to that it's uh said you look closely at this thing and uh look at it now several years later and uh, see what you ought to do with it and where you ought to lead people. In one aspect of the message, it is I have chosen to retain an illustration which shows this and we'll fix it in our mind later on in the message. But uh, going back through and uh, did not just pull, use the old outline and that sort of thing. Wouldn't be anything wrong with that if I did, but uh, that's not what I chose to do. That's not what I felt like I should do. But I didn't want to sidestep the truth and deliver to us. It does us well to hear the hear significant things more than once. And uh, so tonight I want to speak to you on the subject of the multiplication of error. And uh, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25 is the text that taught me this truth. And uh, it says there in, in that particular passage, it says, There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And he said, well, I think I remember that. You're talking about preacher. I've referred to it a number of times over the years trying to point out this truth. So um, you've heard it. You've heard that title on several occasions. But um, I want you to notice what happens there in that verse, in verse 25. You start out with a singular statement. Look at what it says there. There is a way, singular, one way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof, the end of that singular way, are the multiplied ways of death. So it goes from a singular to a plural. Um, One of the advantages of going back and as you continue your Bible study, as you keep growing in the Lord, and as you uh, also get the experience of life, get more years and uh, dealing with more things, you, uh, as you go back through, there are certain things in the Bible which will appear in the new richness and the new understanding. Not a different way, because if it was right and it was truth to start with, you don't go to something different. But when I say a new richness and a new understanding, you see, you see further than you did with it. And it's interesting, this verse, how, if I can say the emotion attached to it, is different for me than it was a good number of years ago. This verse, when I read it this time, and it caught my attention again, obviously I've read through there over the years, but, but reading it and it catching my attention, it did something different to my emotion. And my thought was this, this is a very sad verse. 
Um, not just that, because obviously it ends up in a bad place for this person or bad places, the ways of death. But I looked at it and it caught my attention in a way it never did before that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. Here you have a man doing what he thinks is the right thing. To me, that's a sad thing. This isn't somebody uh, who just set out to be perverse or said, I don't care what's right. I'm going to do whatever. This is someone who is doing what they think is right, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In another place not related with the message, just in some studying I was doing along this, this area recently, I wrote a note regarding this truth. This is not so much an issue of judgment as it is an outcome. In other words, there are things that have direct judgment attached to them. Certain things God judges. And, uh, and by the way, our nation does about every one of them, you can imagine, in abundance. So don't be surprised by any trouble we have. Uh, we act very surprised. Why should we be surprised? Uh, when our, our, red, our, 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 our uh, country drips red with the blood of unborn babies, and uh, sodomites are lifted high and, and, and given a place of prominence and all that. Why, why should we be surprised that anything comes, comes our way? We should be surprised it hasn't happened faster. And honestly with that. But some things are not a matter of judgment. They're a matter of outcome. Um, you know, you, you were up here perhaps if you were up on this platform and you walked over towards the edge and you were looking out and you stepped a little too far and missed that step, came down and broke your ankle, that's not a matter of judgment, that's a matter of outcome. You misstepped. And there are certain consequences to that action. It's just what naturally follows along there. And when I looked at that and I saw this and I wrote the statement to myself, this isn't, isn't so much an issue of judgment as, as it is uh, outcome. I see a man who's doing the thing that he thinks is right in his mind. He thinks it's the right thing to do. But where that leads ends up being a place of death. In other words, you don't have to start out. And I don't have to start out in order to do something wicked in order to end up in a place that's very hurtful. And uh, I looked at it and I said, oh man. And I said, I, I, knew, I, I know I've got to go into depth in this and, and uh, preach it again. Uh, a younger preacher preached this and he did okay but he needs an older preacher to come along and preach a little deeper into this truth now so we're going to do that some years later but uh, I got to look at this and, and I thought about it you know one area by way of illustration one, one area where this shows up easily is in finances it's amazing how often people damage themselves without going out to do so I'm talking about people who tithe. I'm talking about people who give. I'm talking about people who, you know, in their heart, they, they're, they're wanting to serve the Lord. And uh, they do. But they will choose a way that leads to ways and they end up in trouble, in bad trouble. It was interesting. I heard a, heard a thing and there, was a, there were two lawyers that had been in very severe financial trouble and they got out of it. And it was funny. The wife made the statement. She said, at some point... We said to ourselves, we're too educated and too smart to be in such bad shape. <laughs> Why? Because it's a matter, not in that case, I don't know their particulars of you know, what they do with the finance or anything, but not necessarily a matter of judgment as it would be when someone you know, steals a tithe for themselves or when somebody you know, ignores and neglects the house of God. There's judgment attached to those things. And by the way, countries get to pay tithe also. 
God's not going to forever let you live on what you took from Him. It's just not going to happen. And so what happens is the, uh, uh, this, uh, <laughs> the, the, you, can, you can start out with a way that you think's right, but it's not. It has serious, serious problems to it. Um, you know, you think, something's, you think something's a good move and it isn't. Uh, one, of the, one of the most common forms of that um, financially is, is, called the, uh, is called refinancing. Usually, usually, almost always, one of the most deadly things you can do in finances. And uh, you say, why is that? Well, when people refinance, they tend to refinance and, and uh, consolidate everything in together. That's generally what they do with a refi. Or they refi and out. They refinance and get money out. Those situations, I would love to know in what 90-some percentile of it, end up bad. And the reason why is because the habits and what was happening and the procedures, the way that led to the situation that was the problem are never addressed. And because of that, what ends up happening, to get some relief, get their monthly bills and payments down to where they can handle it, and then go right out because the way's not changed. They go right out and end up in trouble again right away with it. Um, so usually it ends up a bad thing. And, and a lot of times uh, someone's house ends up jeopardizing everything else over it. Uh, it it's, just, it's just the approach to things. It's the way we do things. Uh, for instance, I wrote this down. I said, in America, we have a way about our, what we do with finances. And here's the American way. Which, by the way, you say, well, we're a well, very wealthy nation. <laughs> we're a nation of a house of cards. There's not a lot of wealth. There's a lot of money moving around. And now it's not moving around so well. You say, well, you mean, preacher? Well, in America, here's what somebody says. They go up and Say, well, you young fellas, you see a car, and you say, can I afford that car? Now, here's what you would mean by that, because it's what almost everybody means. Can I make monthly payments? That's Americans' version of can you afford something. Can I make monthly payments? Totally disregard what the Bible says about the the borrower being servant to the lender. We completely ignore the fact that uh, paying, paying car payments most of your life is the single biggest drain on your finances you'll ever have. Um, and why? Because it's just normal. It's what you do. And uh, so we say, can we afford that? We're going to go do something. Can we afford that? Uh, someone's going to take a vacation. Can we afford the vacation? Yeah, we can do it. We'll put it on credit card paid off over the next six months. In that way, seems right. And one reason it does, because it's what you see everybody around you doing. But what ends up happening is it ends up in financial debt. Because the American way of doing it is, can I afford the payment if everything stays healthy? Has anybody got an idea everything doesn't stay healthy? I mean, have we got the concept down yet? Not everything stays healthy. Instead, let's say you're going out there and you've got that Corvette you're working on there. I think you're more of a truck guy. Yeah, absolutely. So you're a four-wheel drive Corvette with a with lift kit, right? <laughs> There you go, man. He would be one cool redneck. Amen. Um, but, the, uh, but when you go out there, what if we said what the Bible would say about, say I can't afford that means can I pay for it? Can I pay for it? 
That's different, isn't it? And what ends up happening when we do things that way, um, things go bad. You don't have payments hanging over you. And if you need to sell something, you can sell it. I know I, I, I probably picked a very bad illustration at the beginning of a message. You jumped off ship and are swimming towards the shore as fast as you can. But persistence in a ways to ways, in other words, from a way to ways, the persistence in a way that seems right, ending up in the ways of death, usually marked by some things that we don't take into consideration or we don't bring to bear on our way. Our way is the manner in which we operate. It's very simple to figure out way. You read the Bible and say, what's, what's, what's the Bible mean by a way? Well, this is real simple. What's the way you talk? What's the way you walk? What's the way you dress? What's the way you take care of business? A way. <laughs> How do you do things? Okay, simple enough. Three-letter work. It's easy. How do we do it? But there are some things we don't bring to bear on our way. Then what ends up happening, the way can seem right. If somebody goes out here and they make the decisions like I just made, and I understand I just gave a new concept to some of y'all, and I'm not poking at you, or you're like, whoa, never quite thought about that. Or first time you really see the difference of the two things I just talked about, it can really smack you between the eyes. And uh, you say, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, I think somebody goes out and they're not trying to cause trouble. Trying on being dishonest. They plan on making their payment. They plan on doing it. That's what they've seen. This, this, is, this is what you do. You know, how many of you, you're my age or older, and you remember playing with mercury in school? Did any of you do that? Hold your hands up if you still could do that. I did. I did. I did. Did you have a chance? Do you remember we used to do that? Some of you younger folks are going, are you serious? Oh, yeah, we played with it all the time. What's the other name for Mercury? Quicksilver, Quicksilver absolutely. And uh, they, they sing with Doyle Lawson, but that's a different subject. But, they, uh, they, but the, the thing of Mercury is, is we, they used to put it out on the table. Y'all remember them doing this? Little balls of Mercury. And they'd have the kids would come up and play with it. Make it run into each other. Watch what it does. Look at it. It's the reason why it's called Quicksilver, children. Hey. <laughs> that happened to our generation. Which explains why you younger generation are like you are. It's a genetic thing. We messed you up. Anyway, can you imagine going in a public school and somebody saying, let's play with Mercury today. <laughs> Pardon? They wouldn't know what it was. They wouldn't know what it was. Right. It's not even in the thermometers. I mean, how you doing? But do you know one of the worst industrial accidents to ever happen in history is in a place called Minamata, Japan. Over 100,000 people were born with severe birth defects over a matter of a number of years. Many of them life-threatening, and I'm talking severe. And when they finally figured out what was causing this horrendous multi-generational problem going on. I mean, massive. When they figured it out, it came from a, a paper manufacturing plant that was releasing mercury into the water supply. And the long-term consequences of the following generations were, were huge. You know, even, even my most barbaric teachers I had, 
most of my teachers weren't barbaric. Some of them were downright interesting in their uh, intellectual anomalies. Um, but they, they weren't sitting there saying, let's see how many kids we can poison. All right, guess that what we're going to do. I'll show you a neat thing, kind of a science thing. All right, we'll play with mercury, play with mercury. All right, isn't that cool? Everybody likes it. Look at this. Man. Oh, well, you know, trying to keep it from taking off on you, breaking the little beads. All right, let's put that away. It's time for lunch. My witness was this guy. Yeah, that's what we did. Right? And, and, and so, so you did. There's a way that seems right. That's a sad verse to me. This is not somebody who set out, you know, I'm going to go. You say, well, it seemed right to him. It wasn't necessarily right with God. I, I, I grant that. That's, that's correct interpretation of the, of the verse, what, it, what it's talking about. But the issue is that they thought they were doing right. This is different than the froward and perverse man who set out to do mischief. There's a distinction here. It, there's a lot of verses deal with the one who's going out to oppress and to steal and to take something from somebody and hurt somebody. This isn't that. This is somebody who thinks they're doing right. Now, I understand it may not be right with the way God does things, but in, they're saying, yeah, this is the right way. This is the right way to teach my kids. This is the right way to lead the house. This is the right way. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Three things I said you can bring to bear to keep our way from becoming ways. These are three things. Number one, I put down confirmation. Confirmation from the Scriptures. We, need, we have to be biblically literate enough for there to be warning signs to come up or something to catch our attention if we're starting to go out of, out of the way of truth. You may not be able to quote all the verses. You may not be good at memorization. But if you're around the Bible enough, in other words, if you and I will put the effort into actually growing, See, we tend to be passive. Okay, I'm going to show up and hopefully I'll grow. <laughs> Don't work that way. You've got to put something into it. And if we will put the Word into us, I promise you this. With God's Word, if you are around it regularly, you will get confirmation of the Scripture. You will encounter things and you may not be able to say, okay, this particular verse applies particularly here. Part of that is recall. Part of that is wisdom of usage. And there's a lot of things involved in that. But you will have this sense of, hmm, eh, something a little different about that. So confirmation in Scripture is one thing. You will not enter into a way that is a way of death and have that okayed by the Scripture. You will not start on a way that ends up in ways of death and have that sanctioned by what's written in the Word of God. It will never have the sanction of this book. And instead of looking at things and saying, well, is there anything against that in the Bible? Why don't we try to do it like Philippians talk about when, uh, when we're after those things which are excellent? Why don't we look at things and say, is this what the Scripture wants? There's a big difference. Not is this allowable, but is this the desire? A big distinction in doing these things. So the first thing is the confirmation of the Scripture. I keep using a word on purpose. I keep using this word. And the word is secular. Secular means looking at things only as a worldling would do. Someone who is only dealing with the temporary right now 
and nothing to do with eternal living. The thing I see that is most disturbing among God's people that I deal with is a secular mindset. God isn't in the equation. Do I want it? Is it fun? Does it make me happy? These are the issues. But God is not in the issue. It's a secular mindset. And confirmation from the Scripture will keep you from starting down the path that leads to death, which God doesn't want you on at all. First thing, it says confirmation from Scripture. Second thing is counsel, counsel of the wise. The Bible talks a lot about that. And what that is, God is, allows there to be people in our life that can see some things that we may not see. And we don't want to start down a way that leads to death. Give you, give you a very simple illustration of something just happened. There's a, uh, a husband and wife here in town. They come to this church. I've never visited, but I know them. And uh, I was talking. The husband had a day off. He works at NTB over here, National Tire and Battery. And, and <laughs> their HVA system was messed up. And it just stayed on and kept pumping heat. He told me their thermometer at the back was at 160. They were being deep fried back there. So I think if you want to lose weight, just go hang around at NTB. One good thing about them, none of them should have bed bugs, amen? <laughs> kind of heat will kill them right now. <laughs> Little dudes can't live through that. But, <laughs> but I was talking to him. He had a day off and I was talking to him and then his, his wife was there. And so... A couple days later, I saw his wife again. I said, hey, I said, it was good to see Danny. And she said, uh, you know, she said, Pastor, he broke his foot about 15 minutes after you saw him. I said, seriously? I said, yeah. I said, did it diagonally or longitudinally? She said, no, it ran length. It's the outside bone. He just wanted to break. And this way, sounds familiar? Bringing back painful thoughts here. But Keith actually helped the fellow out. And uh, I knew that. I told Brother Keith this this morning. Brother Keith has, has his boot on that he has. He doesn't have a fracture, but you have the tendon problem, right? Is it ligament or tendon? Ligament? Is it tendon? Okay. And, uh, the, uh, and, and so, Brother Keith has, has, what's that thing called you got on the other side? Level up? Okay, level up. We want, we want Brother Keith on the level, you know what I mean? Well, as some in this room could testify, if you happen to wear one of these walking boots, and you wear a shorter shoe on the other side or go barefoot. And if you have that boot on very long, you foot problems aren't the thing you're going to keep carrying forward. Guess what is? Your sacroiliac's going to go and stay there. And you're going to walk like Festus. And you're going to have problems. You're going to be visiting Mr. Chiropractor. You're going to have to pop in and see him. It's... So I told him, I said, I, I told his wife, I, I said, uh, I said, tell Danny, I said, tell him about this thing and get one. I said, don't let him do it. Man, if he walks around, I said, have you, I said, have you all dealt with this in your family before? No, not at all. First person I've known with it. I said, please listen to me. And, uh, and, and they're like, thank you so much. I said, good. I said, uh, man, do this. What, what is this? That's just, we were talking. It's somebody who has counsel. They have some experience with what's going on 
See, that's a way of injury. Literally, it ends up being another injury if you don't take care of that right. And it wouldn't be somebody trying to be mean or ornery or mischievous or you know not willing to listen to anybody. They just don't know. And so to them, it makes sense. Oh my goodness, you know. I'll just walk with this here. I mean, it just seems like the right thing to do, but it has a consequence. And uh, so that's what this verse, this kind of thing, the verse deals with. So we need confirmation from the Scripture to keep you off a way that ends up in the ways of death. And then we need counsel. We need counsel of the wise. You need counsel that's appropriate to the situation. Uh, you, you don't, get, don't get somebody who uh, can give you good counsel on finances because they know several bankruptcy lawyers. That's not a good idea. There's just, just, I mean, let's have sense with this. And then this one is something everybody can do as well as the other two, and that's consideration. Just stop and weigh your decisions. There's a whole lot of trouble if you would stop and think where that might lead. Just slow down a little. Um, don't make decisions when you're not in, in a place where it's a good thing for you to be making decisions. The, the more, listen to me, the more confused you feel, the more pressures you feel that are coming in on you and you, and you don't feel like maybe you're, you know, seeing things properly, the more of that there is, the more you need to get back to the basics you know and just stay on the basics. So many people hurt themselves with decisions because they do a decision as a reaction to an emotion. Literally. You, you know, people binge eat like they binge drink. Do you know people binge spend? They get upset. Literally, I'm not making fun. I'm not making a joke. I'm telling you, I wouldn't do it. I would not do anything that might show up giving some away. I could give you actual real numbers and illustrations from within our own congregation over the last few years. Someone is upset over the finances, upset over the situation. Their answer to it is they want to make themselves happy and get over their feeling sad and depressed because they're buried, so they go and buy something. Can't afford what I have, so the answer is to go further. That's like saying, my hand hurts. Gotta fix that problem. Not a good idea. Does everybody here understand those who have? Alcohol had been your, your active enemy in your life before. Booze had a hold of you one time, and thank God the Lord's got you free from it now. But you understand, and everybody of an understanding age, someone says, I drink to forget my problems. Does that work? For just while they're drinking. But guess what happens because of taking that way, and that's an evil way, I understand that. But what is the end result of that? Are the problems better? Do they lessen? Or do they multiply? They multiply. And can't we see that there's a cycle that starts that ends up in destruction? I have a very singular goal for you. I have a very singular goal for my pastor going into my 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and however long I last. A very singular goal. That's to help you, the body of Christ, Learn what you need to know to do what you need to do. Now the doing of it's up to you. But my singular goal before God, and I believe it's, it, it, it's 
it's consistent with what scripturally I'm supposed to do, is to help you as the body of Christ know scripturally what you ought to do so you can do what you ought to do. I want to tell you truth, even if it's painful for you, so that you can set on a right course and uh, you not get snared by so many of these things that are loose in, in our world. And so many things that are loose in our head. <laughs> Take that however you want. Um, several things loose in my head. But stop and weigh decisions. Anybody, is anybody familiar with the term impulse? Impulse. The other day, I, I was going through a store, and I said, oh, I'm gonna do and I said, oh, I want to do this for somebody. I went, and I stopped, checked my wallet, and I said, nope, not enough cash here. I put $31 worth of items back on the shelf. And said, why? Because saying, oh, that's okay, I'll take care of it, it, it the next paycheck is not an option. If the money's not there, it's not there. So how, do you, how did you feel after you did that? Felt good, tell you the truth. Now, the people who aren't getting the gift don't know they were ever going to get it, so they didn't lose anything either. We're good. <laughs> Instead, I sent a nice text. It cost me no 31 stinking dollars there. <laughs> Do that for free. And, and even though data, data charges may apply, amen? Um, but stop and consider. It's amazing how often people do things by impulse. Single worst situation I ever saw with this personally, I know worse, but most extreme. I, I really thought I was going to lose my mom and my stepdad the same day. Because of a move my stepdad had made, and I thought for sure my mom was going to kill me. So I figured that what was going to happen, my stepdad was going to be dead, and my mom was going to be in prison for murder. <laughs> The fact that it didn't happen that way was pretty remarkable. And uh, my dad had, a, had, a, 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 uh, had himself an old Ford Fairlane. Anybody remember the car, the old Ford Fairlane? Beautiful work of automotive craftsmanship. I say thoroughly tongue-in-cheek. And uh, I'm not talking about the old classics in the 60s. I'm talking about when they came back out. That is later on. They call it, or maybe in the Fairmont, what they call it. Fairmont, that's what The old Fairlane was neat. That was a neat old, it was sort of like the Comet and, and that poor man's Mustang, all that stuff. Yeah, that was a, that, those were neat old cars. But the, uh, the Fairmont, that's what it was, which was sort of the Ford's version of the K car. Yeah, I go along with that. Uh, you young people don't know what we're talking about. We're talking about the very generic 80s, you know. Uh, you had to make up for no life by growing your hair curly. Um, the, but what happened was my dad, this, this Ford, my dad's, mechanical aptitude, my stepdad's mechanical aptitude, literally he was, this is what he did, no kidding if he started hearing a noise he turned his radio up a little louder so he wouldn't hear the noise that was his approach to mechanical problems if you're wondering what's wrong with that then, then I, I'm going to find something to sell you um, they, my dad was driving up into Dayton, Ohio and uh, he was up going right up on Old 25, as they called up into Dayton, and that Fairmont quit running right in the middle of an intersection. Well, he called it everything but a Ford, called the tow truck, hooked that dude up, and went into the Ford dealership in the tow truck with his car being towed, and got out of the tow truck 
calling his car names. He left to go up and make a visit and visit family members that live in Miamisburg area. And he was going up to West Carrollton area, the lower end of Dayton. And mom, all she knew was that dad left in this Fairmont, which was paid for, and went up there with it. And he comes wheeling back in with a brand new Ford Taurus. And she said, Carl, what did you do? I still remember when he came home. I said, oh, look, car. You know, I'm just a young guy. You know? Uh, Carl, what'd you do? That thing died on me in the middle of an intersection. Now, who knows how simple it was? Can anybody guess here that probably my stepdad did not get a great deal on that Taurus? How would you like to be a salesman just out there one day and see that scenario coming onto your lot? Oh, you got to love that. Bring those in every day. Look, the fish is already on the hook and he's pulling him in. Uh, slowing down, figuring something out, making a good decision will save you a lot of grief. Taking your time. If you don't want to make impulsive decisions, stay away from where it happens, which means some of you should never walk on a car lot. <laughs> Some of you should never go into a sports store. And me, I can't go anywhere that sells books. Yes, I need another one. I only have 2,645 of them. Of course, I need another book. Is that right? Don't we all have our thing that is really easy for impulse? Our way seems right to us. It will keep multiplying into ways if nothing changes. Um. Very sad illustration of this happening in a way that led to ways. And remember, it's not somebody trying to do something evil. There's a way that seemeth right. Boy, we have to get that part of this truth. It seems right. I think it's right. But do we apply the confirmation of Scripture? Do we apply the counsel of someone wise? And I'm, you don't, you know, you decide whether or not to buy a Snickers. You don't need to count, you know, call a counselor and all that. Uh, talking. You use wisdom within this. And do we stop to consider what we're going to do before we do it? In uh, 1959, July of 1959 was a very hot July out at the Grand Canyon. And uh, there were three folks who decided to go and have a trip to a kind of adventure they could get into. One of them was a Catholic priest, 30-year-old Catholic priest by the name of Gavigan, G-A-V-I-G-A-N. And uh, had with him uh, two teenage boys. One was by the last name of Mahoney, or Mahaney, actually, is the way, the way it looks like it's written, Walter Mahaney. And then the other fellow, uh, John, and he was, uh, 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 th- these two young men were with him. Uh, John's, uh, John's last name was Owens. John uh, Mason Owens was his name. And so uh, uh, the priest, Gavgan, and Owens and Mahaney, went to the Grand Canyon. They were from North Carolina, Savannah, or Georgia rather, Savannah, Georgia, Savannah, North Carolina, well-known place. And uh, Savannah, Georgia. And they were traveling through the West and such and decided to take a one-day hike in the Grand Canyon. Anybody here been to the Grand Canyon? I, I've never been with that. It's pretty, pretty neat. And uh, it's supposed to be beautiful, beautiful place. Um, would like to see that or see what's not there sometimes, according to how you look at that. Um, but they got to the Grand Canyon and they decided that they would do a one-day hike to the river and back. Well, 
there's a problem with that. It, that's, a, that's a serious hike. I know Brother Darren's done it on a couple of occasions when he was younger and uh, more active than he has become. But he, I uh, uh, hope he listens to this. But they, but they were trying to do a one-day hike. Well, the problem is, it's called the inverted mountain syndrome. When someone hikes the canyon and when people get in trouble with this, the first part of your hike, you're going down. Which means the heat, the... the uh, strain on you and it is a strain because walking down you have to resist and and you know so you just take off running probably taking off running down any trail going into the grand canyon is a bad idea and when you get there and you're going to come back up you've got at the particular place the rim where they went in about a mile of elevation to go up that's a lot of going up and so you already have miles behind you and it's not like a mountain where you go up and say oh I'm getting tired. I'll go back down. Here, you're going down. You realize you're tired. You've got to get back out. When they went in July, they went just to have a day trip. There was a mine, the uh, Tanner McCormick mine. And actually, it was a copper mine, but the uh, it was referred to as an old silver mine. It wasn't actually silver that was the main thing that came out of there. But the old Tanner McCormick mine, the priest had been there when he was younger. He wanted to show the boys this, this place. And they just had a good, you know, day trip figured on it. They're from Savannah, Georgia. Probably had hiked around in the woods and stuff in Savannah, Georgia. But that's not the Grand Canyon. And um, so they showed up and they did not register with the park officials or even at the trailheads mark what time they went in and what they were doing. There was no record and no one had any idea they went in. Remember, 1959, you don't have cell phones, you don't have this kind of thing. When you're out somewhere like that, you're just out there. And so there were ways for you to register with the National Park Service and register even at the trailheads to go in. And uh, they didn't do that. And their car was parked a little different place than it normally would be for that particular trail. And then that's when the real trouble started. They decided to go ahead and do this trip, but they didn't start until noon on that Friday. The basic trip was a 26-mile round trip they had planned. Going down and coming back up, about a mile elevation change each direction. They would go about nine miles down to the river, Turn left, they were supposed to, about four miles up to where they could find this trail for the, uh, for the old mine, and then come back. And they were going to do one day, they start at noon. Average temperature in July of 1959 at the Grand Canyon was 120 degrees. What they took with them was one water bottle each and a can of beans. They were used to dealing in Georgia and where there's stuff around. At 120 degrees, you were going to need one 20-ounce bottle of more than just water about every 18 to 25 minutes. They took off hiking, and already there's a lot of problems. No registration, going, but they were doing what's right. They... Gavigan didn't set out to cause trouble for these boys. They weren't trying to cause trouble. They were just going to take a hike. That's what they were going to do. They went out and they missed the trail because there was an old Tanner Trail and there was a new Tanner Trail. The old Tanner Trail was no longer maintained properly and the new Tanner Trail was. They missed it and went down probably what was the original trail that Gavigan had went down years before. They get down, and as they start going, they get, it's a little tougher than they thought, a little more confused. They run out of water. 
By the time they get to the bottom, they are dehydrated. They are uh, tired. They are superheated. And they get down and uh, Mahaney showed, the, the, Walter Mahaney, he, he, he showed the least resilience mentally to, to stuff. And uh, they were about a half mile from the Colorado River and they said they lost complete control of him. He saw it and just ran to the river. They couldn't even slow him down. You, at that point, you had old sandstone, but it was sloped. And he got down there and everybody got down there and they drank and they tried to get some liquid. They're drinking the muddy Colorado River water. And at least they're getting some minerals in at that point. And uh, filled, their, filled their little water bottles again, ate their can of beans, one can between the three of them. And these people had some faith in the power of beans, apparently. And, man, that's, that's like superfood, you know? You're going to be all right. They realized at that point, getting later in the day, the heat, the lowest it got, according to the National Weather Service's records of that time period that all this was involved in, the coolest it got at night was 100 degrees. And so they're down in the canyon and it's superheated. They realize they're not going to make it to the mine. Now they're saying, we just need to get out of here. And so they take off back up, but they missed a switchback. And they found themselves along what's called the Red Wall Cliffs. And they're going along these cliffs, which is 600 feet high. And here they are, they're about halfway up, maybe a little more than halfway up. So they've got few thousand feet below them they've got a few thousand feet above them immediate sheer cliff of 600 feet and they can't find any way up and they lost the trail for going back down you say how in the world would they do that it's called dehydration one of the things that most severely affects your mental function is is the amount of fluid you have you dehydrate it affects your mind by the way chronic dehydration leads to mental problems if you have them, it makes them much worse. And so this, this thing of, uh, uh, they, they started getting confused. They didn't know what to do. They were cutting back and forth, trying to figure it out, and they were getting a bit panicked. At that time, they started hollering for help. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. They said the vastness of it's overwhelming. So they're down there hollering for help. Now, I'll show you by how thin of a thread things can hang. There was someone up in the upper rim heard a voice coming out of the canyon. Now, why this person did what they did at first, no one ever really understood. But they heard them hollering for help and the person up on the rim answered by making ape noises. Now, what they were hearing or why they responded that way or what they thought was going, I don't know. But I know the people down below and put monkeying around for sure. And they did. And finally, they kept hollering for help. And the person finally said something and said, are you really in trouble? Trouble. And barely could hear a voice come up. Yes. That person went. It was getting dark. That person went and found, eventually found someone was with the park service and told them, I think I heard somebody hollering for help down in the canyon. Well, the night passes. They're not able to move. They finally quit moving around at night because, you know, just gotten dark on them and such. Park service and uh, rescue uh, from the uh, military start forming up. Search and rescue, the SAR team starts forming up on the response, you know, hey, 
there might be somebody down there. The park official that the that the person who finally got the message and, and went to decided to show initiative because they weren't going to launch the search yet. They got the heads up. There might be something going on, but they're not going to launch. It involves a lot, the helicopters, everything like that. And they, what they did, the, the park official went looking for a car and found Gavgan's car. Opened it up, searched around, and there was a journal they were keeping as a group, and it said, tomorrow we go looking for a silver mine. He figured out what they were probably trying to do at that point. The search is launched. Well, while all that's going on, and that next morning everything's transpiring, when the sun starts coming up, Gavgan and, and uh, Mahaney and uh, Owens, they, they are very dehydrated now. They've been out 100 degree temperature. Their, their water was gone, I mean, just almost instantly as they were going back up the trail. And they start looking around and they're becoming more disoriented because of the heat, panic, and everything else. They realize they need to get back down to the river. They can't figure out how to do it. They've gotten themselves in their wanderings around, and they kept wandering even after dusk, to where it's a drop-off on one side, it's sheer cliff on the other, and they're disoriented as to where they are. Gavgan sees a chute, as it looks like a chute that you could maybe go down in the sandstone. They call it tepeat uh, sandstone. It's kind of a sharp edge thing with the small things, small ridges on it. And he sees this thing sloping down towards the river and he says, we can go down that. We can make our way down that. Now this, now I'm talking about multiplication of error. First error was, you know, deciding to do this. Like it's, Now a bunch of things are getting worse. And it gets more bizarre. The, the, the priest, he says, we're so hot, we're going to take off our shirts, take off everything but our trousers, take off our shoes so we can get better grip on sharp sandstone. And he said, I'll go first. He had a little short section of rope, which wouldn't have done any good anyway. He said, I'll go first, and then you can follow me down. He starts down there. He tells him, he says, well, we're going to need our shoes and stuff when we get down there, so take everything and throw it over the cliff. Things are getting very bad. So why would he do that? He wouldn't have done that if he hadn't become disoriented. And so often when a way is chosen that is a harmful way, as it starts compounding, you lose your way more and more and start doing things that are totally insensible. Gavgan starts to go down this chute and partway down predictably gets in trouble, loses his footing, cartwheels about 150 foot, striking his head, bouncing off the rock, bouncing two or three times, and smashing and landing at his death at the bottom. Mahaney watched it happen. Owens watched it happen. Mahaney totally loses it. Owens actually has to restrain him. Owens apparently the more resilient of the two, and I'm not saying that as a put down, just apparently physically able to handle things better, mentally able to handle things better. He gets Mahaney calmed down. Owens takes the lead at that point. He goes along the wall, finds a way around and down, and they come down. They get off of that one section they're on. They're still well above the river. And they are so much uh, affected by what's going on with the, uh, uh, the uh, dehydration that they walk within, with the search and rescue team, trace tracks trying to find people. 
they walked within just a few yards of their shoes and their shirt and all that and didn't even go aside to get them, which means they kept going forward on bare feet. As they went forward and things got worse and worse, finally the heat's uh, uh, affecting them so badly. Gavgan's dead. They know he's, you know, there's no survival of what they just saw. And they go along and they get to the point where they're getting near the river. In fact, at this point, they were just under a mile from the river. They could barely walk because their feet were basically shredded from the rocks and the heat of those rocks. And uh, Mahaney just sits on a rock. He sits down. Um, Owens, even though uh, Walter was Mahaney's first name, they called him Pete. And uh, he sat there and uh, uh, Owens says to him, he says, hey, Pete, he says, you going with me? What are you doing? And he said he just sat there staring vacantly. Owens went on to the river. He managed to get to the river, drank and swam and drank and swam. His feet were so bad, he was disoriented with the, 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 where he was at as far as still dehydration and such. He has no idea how many hours passed, but he didn't go back up to check on Mahaney. Later on, the search and rescue team would come down tracking around two days later from the initial contact, one day into the, the rescue operation, they found the body, teenage body, a 15-year-old of Walter Mahaney sitting dead on that rock where he died of heat stroke and dehydration. He was less than a mile from the river when it happened. A lot of bad choices ended up happening. But they started with one way. Hey, let's go look at the Without knowing what was going on, without checking without seeing what it was like. The rescue party the next day found the, the body of the priest. But they wondered what in the world happened to Owens. Well, what happened to him was he got to the river and once he got some water and stuff, he said, only way I'm going to get out of this, I can't walk back up. I'm going to go down till I find a bridge. And he got some branches together and put an elastic belt around to make a little bitty makeshift raft he could hold on to. He said later, the most terrifying part of the whole thing, the only time he thought he himself was going to die was he put that in the Colorado River and started downstream. Does anybody know what the Colorado River is famous for doing? Rapids. He shot a serious set of rapids. He went through a wave train that would be rough with a professional, professional boat and guide. And he said the river terrified him after that. He made it through that, and once he had gone through that wave train, he ended up on the shore, and he said he watched his raft float away because he's just holding on to the shore, you know, stunned amazement. Uh, coming from Savannah, Georgia, he'd never seen water like that water. And his raft went away, and he said that's when he realized where he had landed there was absolutely no vegetation. He looked across the Colorado River there and said, there's vegetation on the other side. And later on, as he was telling it, he said, in my mind, I thought, the only way I'm going to survive is if I have some vegetation. But he was terrified of the river. And they said the way he finally talked himself into going to the other side, he said to himself, said, Owen, you're not a man if you don't do this. And so he jumped in and swam across the river. It was a full week before, from that point, before they found him. Basically, the, the search had been given up. You can't survive down in there. It was staying at 120 degrees. It was spiking above that. They had no sign of him. What they did find was a little note that he had written before he jumped on his raft and told 
basically uh, it said uh, Walter Mahaney up in the up in the ravine. Okay, the last time I saw him, uh, the way he said it, Father Gavgan fell off cliff, and so they found them. But where did he go? There was a third part of the message, and either it got washed away or something, or they didn't see it. And he said, making raft going for the bridge. He didn't know what bridge, and it turned out, like he said, if I'd stayed with my plan, I would have died because there wasn't anything down that way. And uh, he was there, and they couldn't find him. There was one rescue worker. They were getting ready to call off the rescue. They said, we're just looking for a body right now. It was becoming a real problem in that heat for the rescue workers. One rescue worker said, if I was a boy, I would make some way and I would try to float down the river. That's what I would do. And they're like, well, I don't know. And he said, we need to do it. We need to do it one more time. They'd done flyover, but as you went further down the river, the, that particular part of the canyon narrowed, and so the helicopter had to go at higher elevations, harder to see things. Upriver, it was wider, and they could come right down along the, along the river. So finally, the one rescuer said, I'll get on an inflatable mattress or whatever they, got, they had there, and I'll shoot this myself and see if I can find him. They're like, no, we'll take the helicopter. Big helicopter. They call it Flying Banana. And uh, they came. They said, we'll give it one more shot. And so several of them loaded in with the rescue team, and they went down the river. The problem was the superheated air is diffused. You almost can't get enough lift on the rotors to keep the helicopter up. You get to a point of heat and, and, and uh, uh, air structure in certain situations. Rotors are very susceptible to more than a fixed wing. Anyway, they, they, the, the air wouldn't support it. They, they were kind of having trouble keeping the helicopter up. And they were flying along and they went downriver. Eventually, they saw about a 30-foot letter made out of rocks. And that letter was the letter H. What had happened, Owens, after he had, he had found some vegetation he ate, fortunately none of it was poisonous, some beans of some type, he said you had to soak them in water a long time before he could even chew them. I guess they were mesquite. And he said, but he was eating anything he could find. And he said he made a big X. He said he made it out of mud. And then after all the work of doing it, he had to do everything crawling because his feet were so messed up. He said... He realized the mud dried out in about 15 minutes and it looked like the rest of the sand and it did no good. Eventually, he took, tore off the bottom part of his trousers and made little moccasins out of them so he could move around a little. He said he had had the helicopters fly over earlier, actually took his trousers off, waved them everything, but nobody saw him because if they didn't fly over, he took his knife blade, tried to flash with that. So he was trying several things, but he was in a bad situation. Can I tell you that matches exactly what happens sometimes? Somebody starts out in a way that seems right, and when it turns out ways, you start flailing around and even do some smart things, but you got a problem at that point. It's a whole lot better not to get down there. And then finally, he just started moving rocks. It took him forever. He said, man, that's a great, a great ending to it, except that almost wasn't the ending. They came in with the helicopter, and because of the diffused air and because of how the, the condition of it, they came down, and the pilot said, if I land, we will not take off again. He said, I cannot get this bird up if we, if we set it down. And so he hovered right at the edge of this sandy area it was and had the, had the uh, props going full throttle. Owens are looking for him. They say, he's got to be here. He had made the sun shield for himself. All of a sudden, he hears this noise. 
looks around and sees the helicopter, starts going towards it. The sandstorm that was creating was devastating. That's particularly good on a helicopter. When he gets on the helicopter, by the way, 30 pounds lighter than he was eight days before. Now I know some like to lose 30 pounds, but I suggest that is not the way. Can you imagine what this young boy had been through? He was either 16 or 17. He had watched someone, you know, was a religious leader to him, cartwheel off this cliff and smashed his death. He'd left a friend. First news he got, he asked, first thing he did was ask about Mahaney. They had to tell him he's dead. That's just supposed to be, they're just going to go look at a mine. They weren't trying to do something wrong. So, oh, that's, this wasn't, it was not judgment as in divine judgment. What happened was you do certain things and other things happen. And there was a way that seemed right, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. There are a lot of those in life, unfortunately. We have to have something to guide us to stay out of those. Well, that helicopter, you wonder what happened with it. Obviously, since I'm telling you the story and mentioning things he said, they survived it, but it was very close. The pilot started lifting and the helicopter could barely get lift. Its engines were actually having trouble because they had been at full throttle hovering, trying to get him in, and it, the helicopter was having trouble in addition to the lift problem caused by the air. They made it over the rim of the canyon, just barely cleared it, and there was a little area, flat area, like a parking area, and they landed in that because the pilot says this will not make it back the 16 miles to the search and rescue headquarters. They said this, this, this ship is done. And they landed there, and then he was transferred out. How did all that happen? And you read about it, there's far more detail than what I've given you, but as you read about it and, and as you think about it, you know, the decisions like taking the clothes, throwing them over the cliff, trying to scale barefoot down a sandstone cliff with that kind of drop-off, uh, deciding, you know, to go down into the canyon with just a little bit of water and all that. Why did it happen? Because it seemed right. They were from Savannah, Georgia. They weren't from the Grand Canyon. They didn't understand. They didn't understand. In fact, one of the rescuers said they did some things which may have been smart where they came from, but it's not smart in the Grand Canyon. So how do we have protection against our own misjudgments can cost us so dearly or changing circumstances we're not familiar with that we have to deal with i tell you the first and foremost safeguard you have is right there and the confirmation of the scripture keep your feet from the path of life and keep you from the path of death let me pray with you this evening father thank you for your word thank you for the goodness of it help us to be ever vigilant to pay attention to it. Lord, help us, please. We are a limited, blind people. And we need vision from you. Help us to seek it and then to heed it. I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Maybe tonight there's something particularly you want to bring for the Lord and say, Lord, I want guidance in this. Maybe just generally. Lord, I want to... I don't want to start in a way that I think is right and end up in the ways of death. And here's the bad thing about you. You can take others with you. Gavgan is the one who initiated the idea. Well, one other person paid with their life because of that. You're not just deciding for yourself at any point. Why don't you come? We'll have a song invitation. Come join these who are here if you would.